0: Hey, welcome to Vine Church Fort Myers podcast. We are glad that you took time to listen. We pray that the message of grace empowers you today. In a series in the book of Galatians, and this letter of Paul to this very um, beloved church in Galatia, in Asia Minor, uh, it's very fit for our context today. And I titled this message today as Grace is an Experience. Can you tell this to your neighbor? Say, grace is not a doctrine. Tell him. Grace, grace is, not is not a doctrine. Tell him, grace is an experience. Close your eyes. Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name for the spirit of revelation and knowledge of the Son of God. Let the eyes of our hearts be open so we can receive The powerful, inerrant, life-changing Word of God. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. I felt that I did not close properly our message last week. So I'm using Galatians chapter 2 as an introduction, the two last verses of chapter 2, as the introduction of this message. But our main focus is in chapter 3. So let's go with me in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 that says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Come on, anybody, just say a good amen, because just this truth is powerful. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. I need to remind you, like Paul said to the Galatians, that God is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. So we should reject all lies that God is angry with with us. And here, please, I'm not enforcing the humanistic idea that sin is an actual problem. The, the human idea is that sin is some sort of religious taboo imposed by medieval inheritance. But no, we are evil. We are sinners. We have a problem with sin. No, 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 what are you talking about? I know how to make good things. I know how to do good things. I have good will. Yeah, Jesus said that for us as well. In Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus clearly says, you that are evil, you can Give good gifts. So it's not a problem for evil people give good gifts. So I'm not denying that uh, we have a sin problem like humanistics like to say. We have a problem of sin. However, once I repented, once I realized I am a sinner and unable to save myself, and I seek for Jesus, I sought Him as my Redeemer now, I need to remind myself of this forgiveness and walk in peace with God and stop walking in condemnation. And because of the finished work of the cross, all God's wrath was satisfying. It was clearly over Jesus Christ. All God's justice came upon Christ Jesus. So now there is no one single drop of God's wrath that can come upon me. God cannot be angry at me because Christ Jesus received all that wrath. We receive the righteousness of God as a gift. And again, the word gift here is exactly that. It is a gift. You don't perform. You don't endeavor into achievement. You receive. But you have to understand the quality of this gift. This gift is an entire value. It is a binary value. Zero or one. Yes and no. It is righteous or guilty. You don't have a progression in your spiritual walk in order to receive righteousness. Once you believe, you are identified by God with the righteousness of Christ. Let me prove that to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. To says, For our sake... He made him to be seen, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when I say, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 please, that I am crucified with Christ. When I say that I am no longer live, it's because now when God looks at us, He sees Jesus. But when God looked at Jesus on the cross, He saw all sinners of all time. It was our sin, our curse in His Son on the cross. Sin was judged, so now God's righteousness is perfectly satisfied, and it, in the same time, it is transferred to everyone who believes. It is no any longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Amen. And that's, that's the kind of righteousness that we had received. But please, don't take it this for granted. Actually, that's our problem. We think that this is such a, a common, shallow uh, subject. This is just for new believers, pastor. This is not for me. I'm, I'm a scholar in the Bible. I walked with Jesus for a century ago. And that's the problem of the Galatians as well. Because with that mindset, they start to nullify the grace of God. Verse 22, Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So anyone who claims that he can be justified by works of the law or some sort of religious performance, by his good behavior, he or she is nullifying the grace of God. If I can save myself, what is the use of Christ Jesus coming to save me and dying on my place? If I can save myself, God's grace and Christ's death is useless. But I know it is not useless because I had experienced this grace in my life. Let me remind you this again. Grace is an experience. Let me remind you again. Grace is an experience. It's not a doctrine. It's not just an amount of of doctrines and, and clauses and principles that you sum up as a religious belief. It is not a mere doctrine or intricate religious system. We must discern this work of grace in our lives through the Holy Spirit and see that as an experience. And actually, I'm insisting in this aspect of experience because that is the appeal of Paul in the next verses. And now we're stepping in chapter And in the sequence of our Bible study here, we're going to find out that Paul brings six arguments. Tell to your neighbor, six arguments. I'm not going to cover all the six arguments. Actually, maybe today I'm going to cover only half of the first argument. But the first argument is extremely powerful. He, he brings the experience of the Galatians as this unquestionable fact that it, is, it, it was through grace that you came to be saved. And God here, first of all. Then he appeals to the scripture. Then he speaks about God's promise. How powerless the law is to lead us into victorious life. Later on at the end of chapter 3. He's already saying that it's only through faith that you can have a victorious life. By the way we're going to stretch the subject during the 21 days. So don't miss that uh, devotional time. And the last argument is about our inheritance in Christ Jesus. But first of all. Paul says that grace is a powerful experience. Let's go to chapter 3, verse 1. Yeah, I need your your help here, man of God. what's going on. And it's exposed. Maybe it's the door or something. So Galatians chapter 3, verse 1 says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified let me ask you only this did you receive the holy spirit by the works of the law by hearing with faith are you so foolish having begun with the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh now paul is very harsh here actually you don't see him uh, uh, naming or acting like that toward any other churches or letters like you don't see this kind of hard words he actually calls them foolish he calls them you don't have an understanding you guys are idiots you guys are stupid you guys are not thinking you guys are not using your brain let me challenge you something in the next services please don't come only with your heart open but please come with your readiness to use your brain as well i'll need your brain as well because Paul appeals to, his, to their reasoning for considering their past. He, he actually says, don't you see? There's something wrong. You had experienced the Holy Spirit. It seems there is a, 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 a spell over you. You are bewitched. The word is baskeino in Greek. that seems it, that's, it charmed you away from grace. Don't you see? Don't you realize that maybe you are under a demonic influence? And that's the only work of the devil. He wants to keep us and the people of the world blind to the wonderful message of the grace of God. They are blind. The people in the world are blind under the work of the devil. Let's take a look in 2 Corinthians 4, 4. It says, in the case of the unbelievers, in the case of the world, the God of this world, the devil has blind the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel which again relates to the verse number 1 that says that Paul portrayed, God, uh, Paul projected the image of Christ so clearly to the Galatians, but now they are blind to see. The image was there, the grace was being preached, they listened, but they were unable to see. They couldn't see the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, demons, while blind, the Unbelievers' mind, he they try to create difficulty for the revelation of God's grace. Let's be honest, the message is not so complicated. It's simple. What is hard here, what is difficult here, is to take this truth and really apply in our life and keep us completely free. It seems there is a fascination, it seems there is a this this string that pulls us back. Into the merit-based relationship with God. We are, we are aware of the message, but it seems that they did not, this information did not become revelation. And that's why, again, Paul prays only for one single thing in all the New Testament. That's his only apostolic prayer, which is my prayer for you every time I come to this stage. Ephesians 1.16 he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remember you in my prayers. Look, I pray for the churches. And this is my prayer, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Of in the knowledge of Him, verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts, enlightened that you may know What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The devil tries to keep the believer from moving forward and by keeping us bound to the works of the law. And how does the devil do that? He counts with our help. Where we help the devil in that, pastor? With our foolishness. With our uh, empty mind. You probably heard the saying that empty mind is the warehouse of the devil. It is true. Like when we don't use our reasoning just to look at back and consider God's grace in our lives so many times. Actually, one of the Bible versions says, you, you dear idiots of Galatian, you The Amplified version says, you foolish and Thoughtless and superficial Galatians. Use your brain. That's hard. But Paul has to use this strong argument. He's calling their maturity. Traveling with my boys. Right now I brought one to the camp with Pastor Tully. Another one. Just enjoy with me a day in a nice hotel. And I just said to the, the, the one that was with me. Just take a shower uh, before me. Just take, be the first one. To use the shower, so he's taking his shower and he's just looking some sort of you know uh, sponge to clean himself. So he finds nothing; he just finds a fabric that is over the bathtub, and he uses the floor rug, yes, the floor rag, to clean himself. And I come my time my time to you know take a shower, and I see the again the floor rug completely soaked in water. And I said, what is this? He says, it was my sponge. And I wonder that because of our foolishness, pay attention on that, because of our naïveness, our childish attitude, we are still trying to clean ourselves with rags of self-righteousness. And we are ending up the shower even more dirtier than we came in. Because we are foolish. Because we don't take the word of God and really dive into the revelation. Again, please, grace is not a matter of doctrine. It is all about an experience. And I press on this point because Paul pressed this point as well. I remember talking to a Jehovah Witness when one day I had this clash in a a, a member's house, one of the members of my church, uh, I was visiting, at the same time, this uh, J.W. was inside of his house, we start to have this small theological discussion, I think I won the argument, but it doesn't matter now, but at the end of the biblical discussion, I just made a simple question to J.W., I said, okay, but what is your story, just tell me your story. And he started to tell me how Jehovah's Witnesses are so, such an organized institution. They have the best rules and regulations to raise up your children in a, uh, in a good behavior manner. And I said, that's not my question. I just want to know, what is your story with God? And honestly, he were just an associated member of a religion, of a, some sort of institution. He never said he enjoyed a relationship, an experience with God. Let me ask you the same question today. What is your story with grace? What is your testimony? Like, If you don't have a testimony, uh, you are suspicious for me. Everybody that really experienced grace you know, in one moment or other, we're going to have the grace moment. Our testimony, the gospel message, is not merely doctrinal. It is not a teaching. It is a spiritual, real Experience In this message, the sinner realizes that he cannot be justified before God because of his good works, but only because of the work of Christ. It's not a matter of what man can do to God, but it's what Christ has done for man. This is our message. It's not a piece of good advice or set of rules or something that we should practice in order to achieve nirvana or uh, evolution or development. It is the declaration of what God has already done. It's not a demand. It is a gift that we have to receive. And let me press more on this point because the Galatians, they had received this message, but now they were forgetting the experience That that message produced, again, then in verse 2, Paul says, verse 2, Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by works of the law? Everybody says works of the law. law. And then he compares the works of the law by hearing with faith. Say faith. faith. So pay attention here because a faithless life, It's compared by Paul here, not as a sinful life, not as a wicked life, not a life in debauchery. A faithless life here is compared as a person that is trying to achieve uh, some sort of merit and favor and blessings based on good works, based on the works of the law. So a faithless life here is synonym of a self Effort, self endeavor, self merit, or self righteousness relationship with God. Someone are going to say, All right, Pastor, but what is the big deal about the principle of the law? Is there any problem for me? That decided to walk in the, you know, in the self development or goodwill of my own endeavors. What is the big problem about that? The problem of the principle of the law is that the foundation of your relationship has to do with your self righteousness, has to do with some sort of small little piece of glory that now you receive because you have done your part. The law makes demands. The gospel makes promises. The law demands obedience, but grace challenges us only to believe. But I don't see the problem with that. I can believe and at the same time trying to perform to God and charge God with an invoice about my blessings. But that's the problem. Because now that you are charging God with your invoice, because you had fast, you had prayed, you had fulfilled such and such religious duty... There's no need of faith. There is no use of faith. And let me tell you something. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Faith is the basis for the relationship with God. And you might say, I don't understand that, Pastor, that's why it's hard for me to walk by faith. But how many things you don't actually understand, but you believe anyways, you get in every time you travel in your airplane, you don't have an idea how the aerodynamics of that huge machine works, and you believe that that thing is going to bring you from point A to point B, and you just trust and you don't understand, but you believe anyways. Actually, there's one aspect that I'm defending in my thesis uh, to my master's degree, is that the day that you think you understand, you miss the point. Because the infinite God can never be grasped totally by a finite being like you. If you got to the point that you think you believe as a finite being, it means it became God itself. You cannot understand all the grace of God. Actually, through eternity, that's our big adventure, to find more about His grace. Come on, somebody. No one has ever... Receive a miracle from God because of good works or good behavior. We see that. The group, the only group that never received one single miracle of Jesus were the Pharisees, the religious, the good behavior people. Has a bunch of appearance, outward uh, attitude. But they did not receive. Who received miracles were those that clearly perceived themselves as unworthy to receive any blessings. There was no external requirement for your time of salvation, it also, Galatians, remember, there was no external requirement, no circumcision, no kosher diet, you don't need to eat Jewish diet to receive the Holy Spirit. And, I, and, and I'll be very precise here because we personally believe that when Paul claims in verse 2 again, please, that he had received the Holy Spirit here, he is implying the actual feeling overflowing of the Holy Spirit not the dwelling of the Holy Spirit but the actual overflowing the Pentecostal experience of actually visually and and perceivable experience by speaking in tongues and I say and I appeal to this argument because I believe that experience was so remarkable to the Galatians that Paul could use that remarkable unforgettable moment that praying tongues and be filled with the Holy Spirit as a point of argumentation in other words Know you are going to heaven. Anybody home? Say amen. amen. You know you're going to heaven, and you know when you really think and and reason your faith to say, "I will never be perfect enough to be worthy of heaven." But I trust Jesus to come to heaven. But my question is, are you trusting Jesus to believe that heaven can come to you? Because if the Holy Spirit came to dwell within you, it means that heaven came. To you. John chapter 1, verse 7, 17. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came. Everybody says, Grace, Grace. Came. came. Just remind your brother about that. Just say, Grace came, dude. Grace came, my sister. Grace came through Jesus Christ. He came from heaven to you. So the gospel message makes Christianity this unique set of beliefs. It is set the world apart in only two religions, so to speak. And again, now that I'm putting Christianity as a religion, just for the sake of my argument here, the point is, there's is only two mindsets. The religion based on human achievement, and one based on divine accomplishment. There is a group that says, you can earn your way to heaven, but there is one that says, You must trust in Jesus Christ alone. There's no other religion, including the atheism and humanism that says that you can develop yourself. In Christ, we experience the greatest expression of God's grace. Himself comes to dwell within us. We were unified with Him in one spirit. And now, again, we don't want... uh, uh, fix ourselves we just want to keep it simple keep it simple no no add on to the formula it is already done keep it simple that's that's what the next verse says galatians 3 3 are you so foolish having begun by the spirit are you now being perfected by the flesh you remember when you got saved You you didn't understand much. You were simple. Like someone said in this case, less is more. Don't add on anything else to the message of grace. Keep it simple. The Galatians were not completely turning to the law. They were trying to mix the unmixable, the incompatible dispositions of law and grace. And that happens today. They are trying to mix oil and water, and we're not going to happen. There are Christians who believe they are saved by grace, but after that they think they must sanctify themselves by the law of self-effort and merit. But we have to remember justification and sanctification come exclusively by grace through faith in the finished work of the cross. Let's turn our eyes out of ourselves and put our eyes on Christ and Jesus alone. Christ Jesus alone. I say that because there is this tendency of self introspection. You're trying to find inside of yourself some mistakes, and you're thinking that this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Our confidence is in God's undeserved favor and not in our performance. And because you understand that God is always overcomer, always victorious, you enter in his victory. The problem is that many believers think that the law has some sort of power to make the Christian more holy. And actually, they are very afraid of this kind of message that we're preaching here. See, Pastor, what what you're preaching is very dangerous. Like the young people are going to get wild. They're going to learn. They are loved. And the grace is always available. And they're going to just make their life terrible. Yeah. Just look to the history. Just look to psychologists and therapists. If this is true. Do you think that who, who tends to be more wild? And, and, and for no reason revolt. A child that is always loved, cared. Forgiven by his parents, or a child that is always rejected, that is always uh, uh, in an injustice way punished? Who, which one of the kids tend to be more mentally sound? First Corinthians 15 56 The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The more you try to keep the law and not sin, the more you sin. So there are three principles to overcome sin with grace. And that's how I'm going to close this message. Grace and victory over sin. Principle number one. Consider the work of the Holy Spirit in you. Again. Just because you desire to overcome sin. This is, this is one of the many proofs that you are born again. You don't like sin. You see that sin is incompatible with your new nature. This is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. But don't stop there. The Holy Spirit also empowers you into righteousness. He leads you into victory. Convinces you not about sin. He did that when you accept Jesus. But now His work is to convince you of His righteousness. John chapter 16 verse 8. When the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin. But now He's working on you on convincing you of His righteousness. And also about the judgment. And Jesus explains concerning sin because the world did not believe in Him. Did you believe in Jesus? You believe in Jesus. You don't need this convincement anymore. Concerning the righteous, he does work because Jesus is not with us. He went to the Father and we see him no longer. But concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judge. His job also is to convince us that victory is not earned. Victory is received. Again, you don't need to develop more conscience of sin yield to the work of the holy spirit that leads you into the conscience of righteousness stop to meditate and scrutinize yourself look for mistakes just meditate in a tremendous gift given to you number two consider the love of christ for you living under condemnation and guilt does not free anyone from sin. On the contrary, the law only incites the flesh to be more conscious of sin. And when you feel condemned, you end up sinning even more. The key to be aware, the key is to be aware of His love. And I say that because, uh, again, even before temptation, Christ Jesus loved you so much. He doesn't need to prove you that. There's nothing you can do for him to love you more or nothing that you like to do that will make him to love you less. Luke chapter 7, 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. So the parallel works in the other way around. You are much forgiven, a lot forgiven allow this forgiveness be a power to overcome sin. I think we should practice what John the evangelist, the writer of John the, the gospel of John and the letters of John did. He nicknamed himself as the disciple whom loved, whom Jesus loved. It's interesting because there are moments, there are scenes that he is together with Peter And he has no problem to call Peter, Peter. But he says, Peter listened that, but the disciple whom Jesus loved listened this and that. Like why he did not call Peter as another disciple that Jesus loved. He says, I don't care if Peter will be the rock. I want to just be the disciple whom Jesus loved. Grace reveals Jesus' love for us. Victory is given to us. It's obtained by our own effort. It is not conquered in our own strength. We don't have nothing to boast before God on that day. It was always received. Number three, I need to say that because this is very practical for you guys. Consider temptation only as temptation. And again, because some of you guys in the midst of temptation think that you already sinned. And because you are under the wrong habit of condemning yourself and allowing the, the, the lies of Satan accuse you even in the midst of temptation. you says, I had sin already, so I'm just going to give in myself to the mud. I'm just going to drown myself into the mud now. I just, I can't hold myself. No, 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 wait a minute. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every res- respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The moment you are tempted, you receive a fresh dose of God's forgiveness and grace. And again, I say that because some of you are trapped in condemnation before even falling into sin. So just see yourself as righteous in Christ. And this will give you the power to rise above temptation. Let me invite you to stand up and remind you that our faith is our great weapon because even when we sin, if you believe right, you'll be able to be brought back in line with your belief but if you have a wrong belief, you're going to keep yourself in the pit of misery forever. Victory over sin comes when people experience God's superabundant grace. Paul asked, having started by the Spirit, don't it seem ridiculous to try to perfect yourself by the flesh? How can we overcome sin, Pastor? How can I overcome this, temp- this temptation? The same way I started, I finished. It is by grace, through faith, in the finished work of the cross. With your eyes closed, some of you guys need to receive fresh forgiveness, fresh amount of grace that are gonna bring you back where God meant you to be. I wanna pray for you right now, with your eyes closed. God, I know you're calling the backslidden, the prodigals, those that don't even count themselves worthy to approach your presence. But here we are, God. Repentant. Broken. Aware that we are weak in ourselves. However, God, we trust your grace. Can you say this to the Lord that you trust his grace? That you you jump, you 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 dive into his ocean of grace this morning. That you're going to wash yourself in the forgiveness available for you right now it just let the the clean waters of the war of the word of god of the message of the gospel that you are loved that you are the disciple whom jesus loved why are we still praying right now some of you guys are visiting us or maybe watching us online and i wanted the church to help me out now in this prayer because Some people might have listened to this message and think, I'm still trying to make my way to heaven. I'm still trying to have this conviction of God's love for me. And I'm not sure about that. But today is your day. Today is is your day. Today is the moment for you to receive grace that saves you and keeps you saved. With the whole church praying with me right now, just to help these people. That are going to make this prayer first time in their lives. Just repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus. Today. I give up. On trying. Fix myself. Save me. I give you my heart. I give you my life. Save me. Jesus Christ. I give you my all. In Jesus name. Come on church. Let's give God praise. Let's worship Jesus.